Good morning, church. How are you guys doing? Good to see you guys. Um, just quick announcement before we, we dive in this morning. I uh, just want to let you know we, again, have that Trunk or Treat event that's happening this coming Saturday, the 28th. We do have eight cars now signed up, so I want to celebrate that. Thank you, guys. For those of you who signed up in the foyer to be a part of that event over at the community center, really excited about that. We could still use help with candy. So this is the last week that you can bring in candy donations. You can do it any time this week up to Friday. We're going to be collecting candy in the foyer. Uh, please help us out with that because we're going to need about 8,000 pieces of candy to cover those vehicles. And I think we've got, I think like around 5,000 right now. So we could still definitely use some more bags of candy this week if you're able to do that. Also, I appreciate the prayers this past week as I was recovering uh, from an ear infection. I'm doing much, much better. And um, my goal is that one of the weeks in this series, I will be up on this platform healthy. That is my goal. Um, unfortunately, unfortunately, I wound up with food poisoning last night, and uh, I've been battling that for like the last six hours or so. So if I run off the stage during this message, it has nothing to do with you guys. I just want to just point that out to you guys, all right? Uh, super glad to have you guys here with us at First Light South Portland Church this weekend. We are in part two of our series called Relational Vampires. Everybody say Relational Vampires. Now, who are we talking about when we say that? Well, we're talking about the people in our lives, the people we go to school with, the people we are at work with, even the people in our family who can kind of drive us nuts and drain the life out of us and have us maybe even dreading Thanksgiving in a few weeks. If you were with us last week, last week we talked about overly needy people in our lives, the people who always seem to have drama and crisis going on in their lives and who always try to suck you into that drama and crisis. Some of you who weren't here last week, you might need to head over to our YouTube page and watch that message. Next week, we're going to be talking about hypocritical people in our lives, people who say one thing to us and then do something else. We're going to look at that next week. How do we love them? How do we care for them in a God-honoring way that, again, doesn't drain us and kill us. And, and then we're going to end this series on the first Sunday in November. And we're going to end by looking at critical people in our lives. These are the people who can suck the very life from us with their constant critique and negativity. They can pick apart anything and everything. And they complain and criticize literally everything we do. But as I said last week, as we dive into this series, there is one thing that all of us really need to take ownership of. We all need to acknowledge that at one time or another, all of us, yes, all of us, we can be the relational vampires. So in this series, we're not only talking about how do you love, how do you relate with, how do you minister to these kinds of people in our lives, but we're also unpacking how do we notice and correct ourselves? How do we look in the mirror and notice and correct in ourselves when we're the ones behaving like a relational vampire? And in his word, um, we learn some incredible good news from God. God tells us in his word that he is a God who loves all people, even relational vampires. And he also shows us how to love and care for these people. And so today, we're going to talk again about manipulative people. How do you love and care for manipulative people? So to get started today, let, let me do a little bit of an audience participation show of hands. How many of you would say you know someone who at some point in your life has tried to control you, manipulate you, impose kind of their wants on your life? If that's you, raise a hand right now. In fact, raise both hands right now. Raise them up high. Look around the room. Keep them up. Keep them up. We're going to do this. Let's do this right now. Keep them up in the air. Somebody say ho. Say ho. 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 Now somebody, anybody, everybody scream. Now throw your hands in the air and wave like you just don't care. Sorry, I was just joking to see if I could control you guys this morning. I was just, I missed my 80s hip hop. I miss it. Speaking of jokes, so there's, there's an old joke um, supposedly about heaven, that in heaven there were two lines 
to enter into the pearly gates. And one day Jesus was there monitoring these two lines. Now one line had a sign that said, for men who were controlled by their wives. And in that line were many, 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 many men. Men as far as the eye could see. And then there was another line. And in this line, there was a sign that said, for men who were never controlled by their wives. And in that line, there was one guy. There was just one guy standing in that line all by himself. And so Jesus walks over to the guy and he's like, hey, fella, what are you doing standing here all by yourself? And the guy kind of drops his head and he's like, I don't know, Lord. My wife told me to shut up and stand in this line. (laughs) My wife didn't like that joke. Please don't send me an email. But today, we're going to talk about how do we deal with controlling and manipulative people in our life that can suck the very life out of us. And, And we've got to recognize that this has been a problem really since the beginning of human history. In fact, the Bible has many examples of manipulators. In Mark chapter 6, we hear about two women who manipulated and controlled King Herod. And if you know the story, Herod was throwing himself a big party. He had been drinking a little bit too much, and he told his stepdaughter, I want to see you give me a little dance. And, and, and sometimes, you guys have no, I look at the Bible a little bit different than some people. I, sometimes I like to look at the Bible through a Star Wars lens, because I'm a nerd, and so I just kind of do that, so bear with me. And, and so he said, give me a little dance. And, and so his stepdaughter gives King Herod a little bit of dirty dancing, okay? That's, that's what happens, all right? She was doing some Bible times twerking for old lecherous Herod. And after she was done, he said, you can have anything you want. You can have up to half my kingdom. You can have anything you want. And Jabba, I mean Herod, said that in front of everybody. And so this young woman, she goes to her mother, Herodias, and she says, Mom, what do we ask for? What do we ask for? Well, Herodias despised John the Baptist because John the Baptist had been calling her out on her sinfulness. She had left her husband and was now shacking up with King Herod, who was her husband's brother. Great morals in this family. They could have done a Jerry Springer episode on the Herod family, okay? And so Herodias says to her daughter, I want you to ask for the head of John the Baptist on a silver platter. And so these two women took King Herod and they put him in a corner and said, you said it publicly, you promised for anything, we want murder. And he ended up doing something that he really didn't want to do. And tragically, he took the life of John the Baptist, okay? Manipulation and control. In Genesis 25 in the Old Testament, you can read about two brothers named Jacob and Esau. Esau was the older brother. He had the birthright. Jacob was the younger brother. He was upset that the older brother Esau had a birthright. Well, let me tell you about these guys. The older brother Esau was a hairy man, okay? He liked meat. He went hunting all the time. Jacob was a mama's boy, possibly a vegetarian, He watched cooking shows on the Food Network, made lentil soup. And one day Esau came home from an unsuccessful hunt. And he came home and he was like, I'm so hungry. I wasn't able to catch anything. I'm starving to death. And as he's saying this, he smells something delicious coming from the the kitchen that his younger brother Jacob was making. He was cooking up a batch of that sweet lentil stew. And so Esau smelled it and he's like, brother, Please give me some of your stew or I'm going to literally die. So hungry. And so the younger brother, Jacob, goes, gotcha. Gotcha. You want some of this yummy stew? Trade me your birthright. Trade me your birthright. And Jacob tricked Esau into one of the worst trades in human history, birthright for a bowl of stew. Manipulation and control. See, once again, we see manipulation happened in scripture in the tragic and yet kind of comical story of Samson. And we talked about, if you've been here for a while, you remember we talked about the story of Samson in great detail back in June when we did our man series about Samson, the the strongest man. But the story of Samson and Delilah talks about how his girlfriend Delilah totally manipulates him. And if you don't know who Samson was, Samson was this really, really strong guy in the Old Testament. 
that God had given him superhuman strength that somehow came from his helmet, I mean his long hair, okay? And the Philistines, his enemies, they wanted to know what is the secret of his strength? Where does it come from? And so Delilah, this beautiful Philistine seductress, was hired to uncover the secret. And so she went in, became his girlfriend because he liked her, and she tries to discover the secret of his strength. And over and over again, she was like, hey, big boy, tell me the secret of your strength. And it didn't work because he lied to her again and again and again. She failed to get the secret. But she didn't give up. And I want to show you what the Bible says she did. Now, just so you know, whenever you read a passage like this in Scripture, uh, like a, a seductress kind of saying something, I, I think you got to like do it like in a little bit of a southern bell kind of cheesy voice or it doesn't feel right. So be warned, this is my best southern bell cheesy voice coming up right here, okay? Judges 16, 15, here's what it says. Then she said to him, how can you say I love you when you won't confide in me? This is the third time you've made a fool of me and haven't told me the secret of your great strength. Now, verse 16, in case you don't have a good sense of humor, this is where it gets super funny, okay, in Scripture. So everybody say this verse with me on the count of three. Ready? One, two, three. With such she prodded him day after until he was sick to death of it. I mean, that's funny right there. The Bible says she nagged and nagged and nagged until he was sick to death. Until he said, I surrender, woman. I give up. I'll take off my helmet or cut my hair or do whatever you want. I love how the King James Version says it. It says, she vexed his soul unto death. Thus saith the Lord. Hallelujah. And she just went on and on and on until finally he could not take any more. He said, okay, here's my secret. Kill me. So manipulation and control is a common common problem in human history. And we're kind of having a little bit of fun with it this morning, but tragically in our lives today, we will often allow people to corner us and start pulling our strings and manipulate us and control us to where we end up surrendering the direction of our very lives to somebody else other than God. So, how do manipulators work? Well, they've got three common tactics. There are three big tactics that manipulators can use on us. And if you're taking notes, you can jot these down. Number one is this. Manipulators love to use flattery. Manipulators love to use flattery. Some of you work with or you go to school with that person. We have names for them, right? The brown noser, the stuck up. Great presentation, boss, you're the best. Can I take next week off, by the way? Can I get priority on vacation time? Or, or it's the guy who will say whatever it takes to get his girlfriend to do whatever he wants. I love you, baby. You're beautiful. You're the only one for me. Now give me what I want. And he will use flattery as a tool for manipulation. Number one, manipulators love to use flattery. Number two, manipulators also love to use threats. They love to use threats. You know, if you don't do what I want... You're going to regret it. I'm going to hang up on you. We're not going to be friends anymore. I'm not going to call you or hang out with you anymore. I'm going to lie about you to other people. I'm going to abandon you and you're going to be all alone. And they go on and on and on with threat after threat after threat. Oh, if you do this, then I'm going to do this. And I don't even know what that could mean for you, but, but most of us have dealt with somebody like that in our lives. Just use your imagination. The threats could be about literally anything. But if you don't do what I want, you're going to pay. Manipulators love to use threats as a weapon to get what they want. And then the last one, number three, manipulators also love to use guilt. They love to use guilt. I thought I could count on you. I thought we were friends. After all I've done for you, how could you do this to me? And you call yourself a Christian. Some Christian you are. Oh, I see how it is. Fine. Just go on without me. I'll just stay here by myself for the rest of my life all alone. Probably won't eat next week. I'll wither away and die. You don't care. Don't worry about me. Go on with your life. You know, this might even be somebody you love. Like a parent 
tries to make you feel guilty all the time. If you loved me, you'd come visit more. Why haven't you been here for Christmas lately? You coming this year? Your kids might try to make you feel guilty. If you loved me, Mom, if you loved me, Dad, if you really loved me, you'd let me go to that unsupervised party. But obviously, you don't really love me. And so through flattery or threats or guilt, a lot of people who are otherwise pretty decent people manipulate, sometimes knowingly, sometimes unknowingly. And they try to grab the strings of your life and kind of lead you along in a destructive dance that you have no desire of participating in. So what do we do when we recognize that somebody in our life, maybe even someone we love, is trying to manipulate us and control us? How do we break the power of manipulation and control in our lives? What I want to do again this week, like we did last week, is I want to offer you three different prayers that you can begin to pray in your life. Because I believe that it's so important that we are led by the Holy Spirit of God when it comes to relational interactions with people, when it comes to our relationships with others. What, what we don't want to do is just try to react or just impose our own will in a situation. We don't want to just do what we think is right. Instead, we really need to ask God through the power of his spirit to give us direction, to give us wisdom on how to respond when we're dealing with a relational vampire. So prayer number one, if you're taking notes, is this. Prayer number one is this. God, help me to recognize when someone is trying to manipulate me. God, help me to recognize when someone is trying to manipulate me. Help me to recognize. Because let's be honest, so many of us for so long have been in such dysfunctional relationships in our lives that sometimes we don't even recognize the dysfunction. We've got people that play us and we just play along because that's just what we're used to. It, it's almost like a very unhealthy and sick pattern of a dance that we are caught in. And they lead and we follow and we don't even recognize the flattery, the threats, the guilt that's sent our way. And this dance oftentimes leads us into doing things that are not in God's plans for our lives or in our best interest. See, Jesus recognized manipulation. In Scripture, we see a powerful story that really illustrates how good Jesus was at recognizing manipulation, even when it was subtle. There was a time when Jesus was being very vulnerable, and he opened up to all of his disciples, his best friends. He sat around with his inner circle. These are the guys that he had been doing life with, that he had been doing ministry with around the Sea of Galilee for three straight years. And he says to them, hey, guys, I'm going to now lay it all out on the table for you. Here is the reason that I came. And so he said, here's the deal. I'm going to have to give up my life to save the world. And very soon, they're going to arrest me, and they're going to beat me, and they're going to torture me, and it's going to be ugly, it's going to be brutal, but I'm doing this, I'm doing this, because God the Father sent me to do this for all of you. I'm going to willingly give up my life because I love you. But after three days, I'm going to rise again. And sin and death will be defeated. And this is surely one of the most vulnerable moments in Jesus' life as he lays out his mission and his purpose in front of all of his disciples. And here's what it says in Matthew 16, 21 in Scripture. It says, from that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. And after Jesus makes himself so vulnerable, after he shares this mission with his best friends, here's what he gets. This is Peter's reaction. And remember, Peter wasn't a bad guy. I mean, Peter's a Bible hero. Peter loved Jesus. Peter walked out on water 
towards Jesus. That was the kind of faith that he had, okay? But Peter was afraid. He was afraid because he wasn't in control of this situation. And so he tries to take the reins. He tries to take control. And Peter takes Jesus aside. First off, why do you think Peter took Jesus aside? Because manipulators often lose power in groups. So they like to work in isolation. And Peter takes him aside to kind of isolate him. And then he begins, Peter begins to rebuke Jesus, the son of God. He tries to correct Jesus. How crazy is that? To make Jesus do what he wants Jesus to do. Watch how Peter tries to take control of this situation in verse 22. What does he say? Say it with me. Let's say it on three. Ready? One, two, three. It says, Peter took him aside, began to rebuke him. What does he say? Never, Lord, he said. This shall never happen to you. Never, Lord. This shall never happen to you. See, there are a lot of kinds of manipulators out there. Some are intentional, like the abusive spouse who uses power and threats and control or withholds something like love and affection to control someone. Or it may be the bully who threatens the smaller kids at school. But oftentimes, manipulation doesn't come from someone who dislikes us or from someone who even wants to harm us. But it can come from people who love us, who simply want us to do what they believe is best for us or because they feel like they're losing control in a situation. And that was the case for Peter. He was like, hey, Jesus, I love you. I don't want you to die. I don't want that to happen. But if you really think about it, Peter, even in his good intentions, he's actually becoming a barrier between Jesus and God the Father's will and mission for Jesus. And so we have to be very prayerful and we have to recognize that there are times where someone who loves us, even in their good intentions, may be standing between us and what God wants us to do. So how do we recognize when someone's trying to manipulate and control us? There's a couple of ways if you're taking notes. Number one, you feel guilty saying no. You feel guilty saying no. For, for some of you, your desire to please people is born out of guilt. Or, or this mistaken belief that we talked about last week, that you're the only person who can solve their problems. That you have to be their functional savior. And so you think, if, if I ever say, no, I can't, then I'm letting them down because you feel ultimately responsible for them and for their lives. That should be a red flag for you that you should at least stop and pause and evaluate the situation. Evaluate what's really going on if saying no makes you feel guilty. It could be the case that somebody's pulling your strings. Number two is this. Number two, if you have to compromise your values to please the other person. If you have to compromise your values to please the other person. I mean, you may be this, this person, you have these values, and you have this standard, and you're, you're dating somebody, and they're good in so many ways, but they start pressuring you to do things, maybe physically, that you would rather not do, and, and you say no, and they say, but I love you. And you're like, but, but I don't feel comfortable doing that. And finally they say, well, if you won't, there are a hundred other people who will, and you're going to be all alone. And what happens? You compromise your values to someone who loves themselves and their desires more than they love you and respect your values. They're manipulating you. Or your friends, they want you to go out partying or go out to the club or go out to the bar, and you're thinking, you know, I know that environment isn't great for me. I remember what happened the last time. And they're like, what, are you too good for us? Are you a no-fun Christian now? And, and they don't hate you. And they love you. They're your friends, okay? But they manipulate you. And before long, you're letting others lead you into doing something that you believe you shouldn't do. So number one, God, help us to recognize when someone is trying to manipulate us. The second prayer that you can add to your life is this. If you're taking notes, number two. God, help me. God, help me and give me the courage Give me the courage to put healthy boundaries in my life. 
God, give me the courage to put healthy boundaries in my life. I'm going to have the courage to put boundaries in place for people in my life. And I'm going to say, I love you, but here are the rules. I mean, this is what Jesus did. I mean, man, you, you couldn't put a bigger boundary in place than Jesus did to Peter when Peter said to him, no, Jesus, I'm not going to let you die. Look at Jesus' response to Peter in verse 23. Check this out. Jesus turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You're a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely your human concerns. You talk about a boundary. He called Peter Satan. Get behind me, Satan. So here's what we can learn from this biblical account. The next time your mother-in-law tries to manipulate you, you just look her in the eye and you say, not today, Satan, okay? Don't do that, don't do that. But what you need to understand is someone you love can actually be a stumbling block to you, preventing you from following God. So have the courage to start putting healthy boundaries in your life. For example, you could say to that friend of yours, listen, you can pout, you can hang up on me, you can threaten to walk away from our friendship. I want you to know I'm still going to love you, but that game of yours will not work on me anymore. We're going to do a new dance. You can say to the person who threatens you, if you want to threaten me, go ahead and follow through because that's not going to work on me anymore. And you redefine the relationship. You take the power back in a loving way and you say, I care about you, but I'm not going to let that pattern continue. You will no longer manipulate me. And this is big in parenting as well. Did you know, parents, raise your hand if you're a parent here this morning. Parents, did you know that your kids actually need boundaries to be healthy? It's a fact. There's, there's been so much research there's been so much research in child and adolescent development. Kids need boundaries to feel healthy and to feel safe and secure. If your kid is throwing a fit, trying to eat the entire bag of Halloween candy next week, you say, guess what? You can keep on flopping like a dying fish on the floor right now, but you are not going to be eating that candy. In fact, keep it up. You won't get any candy. We're going to take that whole bag away from you. Boundaries are important. Jesus modeled boundaries. And, and I believe with all my heart that there are some of you here this morning and you're in a situation today where you need to change the dance and say, no, there's going to be some new rules. We're setting up some boundaries. I'm not going to let this manipulation and control continue anymore because I want to be under God's authority, not under yours. And, and why is this so important? Spiritually, why is this so important? Here's why. Because if you're constantly letting someone else control you, did you know that you're actually committing sin? You're committing the sin of idolatry. You're committing the sin of idolatry. Let that sink in. You're committing the sin of idolatry. You're putting somebody else above God and allowing that person to control and direct your life instead of allowing God to control and direct your life. And you will never step into the greater plans that God has for you and your life and your future by doing that. You can't. So let's recap. Number one, we're going to pray, God, help me to recognize when someone is trying to manipulate me. Number two, God, give me the courage to put some healthy boundaries in my life. And now the last one we're going to look at where I want us to land today. Number three, prayer number three, God, Help me to see my own need to control and help me to surrender it to you. God, help me to see my own need to control and help me to surrender it to you. Because as we've said in this series, it's so easy to focus on all the relational vampires around us. It's so easy to point to them and label them as the crazy ones, all the while failing to look in the mirror at our own crazy. So we have to remind ourselves that at one time or another, we all can be relational vampires. We all can try to control 
and try to manipulate. And, and I, can't, I can't speak on behalf of you, but I can tell you about me that I have a deep and ungodly desire to want to control everything. I mean, it's true in my marriage. I want Julie to do what I want. I want my kids to do what I want. And if someone doesn't do things the way I want, I don't like it and I'm unhappy. It's one of the reasons I stopped doing full-time counseling with people even though I have my degree in clinical counseling. Because I would look at the decisions that some people were making and I just want to tell them, stop it. And you can't really do that as a counselor. I want to be like, I don't care about your childhood. Just quit it. I dreamed of hitting people over the head with a baseball bat because of bad decisions they were making. It wasn't healthy for me. And see, the truth is there are two reasons that I like to be in control. Number one, because I'm afraid of surrendering control to anyone else. And number two, because I believe I know what's best. I think I know what's best. And if you like me, yeah. So I want to be in control. And my guess is if you want to be in control, chances are pretty good. It's because you're afraid of letting go. And you also believe you know what's best. And even though you probably wouldn't say this out loud, especially in church, many of us, we think we'd make a better God than God. But guess what? We don't make a better God than God. And we don't often know what's best because we don't know the whole picture in life. And we don't have that much power. And yet we try to control. And we try to manipulate. Now, there is a difference between trying to lead people well and manipulate people. I am called to lead my family. I'm called to lead my children, but not manipulate them. And I've had to come to a place with my kids, especially my older kids after they've you know, turned 18, and my eldest two are now at that age, where I can say, God, I can't control them, but they're yours. By faith, I give them to you. But help me to lead them. Help me to constantly be available to them, to give them wisdom and support towards the plans that you have for their lives. And to pray for them, to continue to pray for them. And to keep the door open so they can come to me for advice. I also pray that about our church. God, I give you this church because this church is not my church. This church is your church, God. And you can do so much more than I can do on my own strength. Here's what scripture says. I love this. This is our last verse today as the worship team comes up. It's in Isaiah 26. Isaiah 26, verse 3 and 4. And here's what it says. It says, You will keep in perfect peace those whose minds are steadfast because they trust in you. Trust in the Lord forever. For the Lord, the Lord himself, is the rock eternal. You will keep in perfect peace. I don't know a lot of people in this day and age who are living in perfect peace. I know a ton of people in perfect fear or perfect anxiety. But scripture says that you will be kept in perfect peace if you put your trust in Jesus. Trust in the Lord when you don't understand. Trust in the Lord when your marriage or your dating relationship isn't where you want it to be. Trust in the Lord when you'd rather take control of your finances and do it your way instead of God's way. Trust in the Lord when you get a report from your doctor that you don't like. Trust in the Lord when your kids are going in one direction and you want them going in a different direction. Trust in the Lord for he is the eternal rock. And if you try to control everything in your life, you're settling for less. Because you and I, we don't make a very good God. We have one good, true God. And rather than trying to control everything, when we come under the truth and we come under the authority of him, we are able to truly find incredible peace and freedom. And we start to step into the greater plans, the greater story, the greater life that he has for us. Can we pray together this morning, church?
Let's pray with heads bowed and eyes closed. God, I, I pray that your Holy Spirit would help us today. God, help us to recognize when we are being a relational vampire and trying to control something that ultimately belongs to you. As we're praying this morning, some of you have a relationship you're in right now and there's tension there. Someone else has control. And maybe you realize this morning you've got to change the dance and you know it. I want to pray for you today if that's you. If there's some power struggle and someone, somebody in your life right now, they're kind of pulling the strings. They're controlling. And you need to release that control. You need to break that, that control. You need to set up a boundary right now in life. If that's you today and you're like, God, just give me the strength to be able to identify the manipulation Give me the strength to be able to break that control. Would you just lift up a hand right now and say, Pastor, yeah, that's me. There's some changes that I need to make in a relationship in my life. Praise God. Praise God. Several hands around the room. Father God, I just pray for those who just have the courage to lift a hand right now. Lord, I thank you for my church. Thank you for just people who are honest and transparent. Making a change in a relationship isn't always easy, Father God, but Lord, I pray by the power of your Holy Spirit that you would give them wisdom and strength to be able to make a change, to have a conversation, to set a boundary in love, but to say we're doing a new dance. This isn't going to continue. I'm not going to allow someone else to control my life I'm not going to allow someone else to have a position in my life that belongs to God. And so we need to make a change. There might be others here this morning, and maybe for you, maybe there's never been a time in your life where you've ever been at the point where you've said, God, you can have control. God, you make a way better God than I do. <laughs> and I'm so tired. I'm so tired of holding the reins. I'm so tired of just trying to make everything happen. And God, today I'm ready to just release. I'm ready to accept the gift, as I heard today, the gift of your son Jesus, that he came on a mission to this earth to willingly go on a cross to pay the price for all of my sins, for all of my wrongs, so that I could have a relationship with you. God, I want to surrender to you. I want a personal relationship with you. God, I want you to be the God of my life, not me. If that's you this morning, if you'd like to say, I need Jesus, I need God in my life to be in control. I'm tired, I'm ready to give it to him. Would you just be bold right now? Would you just raise a hand and say, that's me. I need Jesus this morning. I'm ready to release that to him. Praise God. Praise God. One, two, three people this morning. Four people this morning. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Anybody else? Somebody else? Five. If you're watching online, God sees you. As you're responding right now. Church, can we pray for those right now who just made a decision of faith? There's nothing magical about these words. We can, we can pray together. It's just an acknowledgement of what God is speaking in the hearts and minds of people right now. Let me just pray this. Heavenly Father, thank you for loving me. God, thank you for meeting me right where I am. Today, October 22nd, 2023, at 11.06 on a Sunday morning. God, I'm marking this in my mind, in my heart. Today, God, I want to take my faith off of myself and what I do. I want to release that control. 
And God, I want to move it onto my Savior, Jesus, and what he did for me. I believe that Jesus died for my sins. I believe he willingly went onto a cross and paid the price of all my wrongs. And I believe he's the son of God. I believe he did what he told the disciples. And that three days later, he rose from the grave. He conquered sin. He conquered death. And today, I make Jesus my Savior and my Lord. And God, I don't even know fully what that's going to look like. But God, I want a relationship with you where you're in control. I love you. Help me to know what that's going to look like day by day, step by step, for the rest of my life. You can have it all. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. Church, can we celebrate some decisions this morning? Praise God. Praise God for that. Let's stand together as we continue to to sing and worship. As always, the altars are open. If you need to come, there's some things you need to pray about. You're welcome to do that. But let's respond as God speaks to us.
is it how awesome is it that we have a God who is for us amen we have a God who is for us he is not distant he is not disconnected he is not uncaring and far away he cares he knows everything that's going on in our lives and he is for us what an amazing God he is Heavenly Father, I pray blessings upon these, your people. Again, Lord, we ask, as always, that you would give us wisdom to know what to do with what we heard today through your word, through the power of your spirit, Lord God. And then give us the courage to be people who take action, who take truth, who apply it into our lives so we don't just come to church on a Sunday morning, sit in some rows, and leave unchanged, but that we realize that changed people change. And we step out of the smaller story of us and into the greater story, the greater future that you have for us. We love you. We give you all the glory, honor, and praise today. We pray these things today in the name of your son. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you guys. I hope you have an awesome week. Can't wait to see you back next week as we continue part three of Relational Vampires. Stay standing for one second, though, because, um, again, our, our board chair, Brandon Stoltz, wants to share a quick uh, announcement with you guys. Good morning. Well, on behalf of the church board, uh, I wanted to communicate something very important about the month of October. Does anyone here know what's important about the month of October? Pastors' appreciations. Well, you guys got it. You know. Uh, so we all know, without a shadow of a doubt, that we have the most incredible pastoral staff on the planet, right? We know that. They don't know that we know that. So it's our job to let them know what we already know. 
so there's a couple of ways we want to do this. Uh, one is I encourage each and every one of you, if you haven't done it already, take the opportunity to express your gratitude for our pastoral staff. You know, send them a card, send them an email, take them out to dinner, whatever you want to do with your own self-expression. I encourage you, please take the time to do that. They, uh, they sacrifice and put so much and pour so much into us. Uh, it's just a little small thing that we can do to let them know how much we appreciate them. Secondly, uh, in the foyer, right next to the offering box is a little box uh, for uh, offering for our pastoral staff. If you want to drop a little something in there, we're going to be collecting that uh, this Sunday and then next Sunday, and we'd really love to bless their socks off. So uh, encourage you, if you would, put a little something in there, and then uh, we'll let them know how much we really appreciate them. So thank you, everyone. Have a, uh, have a great week.